Well, let us pray. Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from your sight, but all are naked and exposed to your eyes, to whom we must give account. Lord, please help us to accept the truth of your word, to live under its authority, to rejoice in its timeless relevance, to be glad that it tells us all that we need to know for our salvation, faith and life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the only King and Head of the Church. Amen. Now the theme that I'm seeking to develop through this service today is let's keep the spirit of Christmas alive. Not just for one day, but for every day of every year. And uh, that's why I've put together the, the beginning of Jesus' life on earth and the purpose for which he came. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the whole reason for the season. Christmas is really a joyful time and it's okay to enjoy it. After all, the angels said, Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. And Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Joy. J-O-Y. What a wonderful little word this is for the Christian. Our joy is not a manufactured thing. It's not a confected thing. It's not an illusory thing. Is not a passing thing. It's a joy that comes from deep in our heart as the Lord works in us. And it's a joy that is abiding throughout the whole of our life as we live it in the hands of him who will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. A joy springs from that wonderful salvation we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It wells up uh, from our hearts. It is our strength and our stay. It drives us out into the world to share the wonders of God's redeeming love with all mankind. It drives us to sing with Mary, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God's my Saviour. Or in a nod to more modern English, tell out my soul the glories of the Lord. In passing, I might just say, what a wonderful name it is for a hymn book. All the way from number one, Rejoice the Lord as King, to 638, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And incidentally, that 
verse, Philippians 4.4, is the text my best mate is going to preach on when the Lord calls me home. Ah, but the unbelieving world makes Christmas a time of passing. It marks it with foolish pleasures. It emphasises that it's a time for families to get together and have fun and give presents to one another. But it fails to acknowledge that Christmas celebrates the greatest present of all that has ever been given. In God giving his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What are some of the things that the world uses to make it a joyful time in its own understanding? Well, the things like the Maya shop windows, Christmas trees, pretty lights, silly songs, a world that sings a song called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has got no reason to pour scorn on anything that Christians sing. But such is the world in which we live. We Christians can't let the world hijack the real meaning of Christmas or shut Christmas down or ignore Jesus as the reason for the season. And we need to keep the true spirit of Christmas alive every day of every year so that we can be useful witnesses as Christians to uh, everyone we know, everyone we meet, everyone we live with and work with. We are obliged to tell this, the world that Jesus really is the reason for the season. Jesus is the Bible's great preoccupation. From the beginning, uh, when uh, the promise was given that one would come to uh, bring Satan down, Isaiah and the prophets tell us of the coming of God's promised Messiah, the Anointed One. And they tell of him in such a way that we Christians who have the eye of faith can see that their prophecies are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Messiah foretold in the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets and the writings. Matthew gives us the human genealogy of Jesus, going back to Abraham. Some years ago, I edited a book written by a Wycliffe missionary who went to one of the most remote parts of Papua New Guinea. And he and his family settled down, lived amongst them, as the Wycliffe missionaries do, and uh, they learnt the language, uh, they 
alphabetized it and they grammatized it and uh, a time came when they felt proficient enough to translate the Bible into the language of that isolated and remote tribe. And the missionary picked out a, a fellow from the tribe who he felt would be a great help in the translating work, uh, particularly in what is the first draft in the Wycliffe missionary's work. Well, the fellow was willing enough and uh, the missionary decided that where would I start? Oh, I'll start with Matthew. So he turned his own Bible to Matthew chapter 1 uh, and he read that chapter of going back from Jesus and so on down to Abraham and he thought, I don't think the Bagats is going to turn these people on. I might just skip that and start at chapter 2. Well, integrity eventually got the better of him and he did actually start at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And after a few lines, a few generations, I guess, the... The fellow who was helping with the translation suddenly started to get excited. And by the time they were getting into Matthew 1, the, the fellow was pretty well jumping for joy. The missionary said to him, why, why are you taking such rapt attention? Oh, he said, this is wonderful. This Jesus, you've been telling us about him, but this Jesus, he's a real person. Of course, he could see through the genealogy that Jesus was really human. And he would come to learn that he was also re really divine. But we won't go too far into the depths of theology for our purposes this morning. But you see, Matthew chapter 1 tells us that uh, Jesus was a real person. Not the subject, not the project, not the product of anyone's imagination. He tells us of his birth, of the visit of the wise men, Herod's threat to his life, his escape to Egypt, his return to Nazareth, and in all of this, his fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies by his very birth. Mark jumps straight into the narrative, doesn't he? Uh, in the ministry and work and the heart of Jesus, he quickly tells us of the many miraculous acts of compassion that Jesus did. Luke carefully records many of the facts surrounding Jesus' birth. We know that because of his testimony in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the prologue to his gospel. Whenever I'm speaking with someone who aspires to be a Christian writer or editor, I refer them very quickly to Luke's prologue. Of course, it uh, provides us of what our mission statement ought to be as Christian writers. 
Well, uh, carefully examining many facts surrounding Jesus' birth, his immaculate conception and virgin birth. And I think it's quite a nice little touch in scripture that God, the inspirer of the human writers, uh, inspires a medical doctor to tell us that Mary was a virgin. He tells us of the birth of his cousin, John the Baptist, who would announce his ministry. Uh, Luke then brings us the four greatest of all Christian songs. One of them we've sung today, the angel's message to Mary and her beautiful response, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. We could call that the song of the heart set free. Then the song of the tongue set free. Uh, the song of Zechariah, giving great glory to God. And then the song of a world set free, which the angels sang in announcing the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then the song of the soul set free, which dear old Simeon sang when he had seen the baby Jesus. His prayers made long since throughout almost all his life that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. His prayers were answered. Uh, so Luke tells us of his birth in Bethlehem, the visit of the ordinary folk, the shepherds, his return to Nazareth, and tells us a touching little episode from his childhood as the boy in the temple. John turns the narrative into theology showing us the Lord Jesus Christ in all his power and in all his glory. As the word in creation now come down to earth to be the word in redemption. But Paul hits the nail on the head when in 2 Timothy 2.15 he declares, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Humility is the hallmark of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. In doing so, they acknowledge that it's all the gracious work of God and it's all to cover their sin. And those of us who have the humility to admit it uh, find the joy of the Lord. So this is the serious side, the real side of Christmas, and it's a challenge for us to get down to business as Christians ourselves, to ask ourselves first, and then to ask the watching world, friend, can you see past can you see through? Can you see beyond all the trappings of Christmas? And can you look to Jesus? He says to you and to me, look unto me, 
all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. In Isaiah 45, 22, some of you will know that that was the verse that captured Charles Haddon Spurgeon as a young man, captured him for the Lord. And if you go to the Metropolitan Tabernacle today, as I urge you to do if you're ever in London, you'll see emblazoned on the front wall above the pulpit that very text. So can you see in the babe of Bethlehem God setting aside the glory of heaven, humbling himself, living among us, sharing our griefs, carrying our sorrows, bearing our sin all the way to Calvary's cross, paying the penalty for our sin in the death of his own body on that cross, rising again in his own mighty power on that third day, ascending to heaven to plead our cause at the throne of grace, returning to this earth in power and glory to judge the living and the dead, to bring his believing people into life eternal in the new heaven and the new earth. You only have to look to Jesus. Look with sorrow for your sin. Look with joy for your salvation. Look all the way to Jesus. See him, born in Bethlehem, laid in the manger, to be Christ whose glory fills the skies and who's calling out from heaven to you and to me, look to me, come to me. Pray to him now in our hearts. We would tell the world, Lord Jesus, I'm truly sorry for all my sin. I'm so glad that you offered your sinless life on the cross at Calvary to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you for clothing me with the robe of your righteousness. Please be with me now and through all my life here on earth and then receive me into your glorious presence in heaven for all eternity. O Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Now, a few days ago, I received on Facebook um, a message from the Gospel Coalition that I thought was very helpful, and I thought I would read it to you. I couldn't quite think where to fit it into the sermon, so I thought, well, I'll just read it after the sermon. Gospel, the Gospel Coalition, incidentally, is a website worth going to. Hello, hello at the gospelcoalition.org uh, or Google Gospel, TGC. It's free to subscribe to and they often carry helpful articles. Uh, this one was called Don't Keep Up With The Times and a little way into the article the author says this, Looking back, we can see that membership in the mainline Protestant denominations peaked in the mid-1960s. Uh, there's somebody who's dear to my heart who I think might have been to some degree responsible for that. More than 20 years into the 21st century, the decline continues. 
by keeping up with the times, the Protestant mainline churches have become a relic of history. Not long before Tim Keller, Minister of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, died this year, TGC launched the Keller Centre for Cultural Apologetics in part to address this great de-churching. But today it's not just Protestant liberals who think we must, as they say, keep up with the times. Some who ask what time is it, the beat of the drums of the cultural war. And too often the result is fearing our neighbours as enemies. Instead we must empathise with sinners. As Paul told the Corinthians, such were some of you before you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6 to 11 is the verse to really focus on when we're dealing with a particular moral problem. We must not fight with worldly means. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We don't retreat, we entreat. As another year ends, the writer says, let all who long for Christ's return fasten the belt of truth as falsehood spread. Let us put on the breastplate of righteousness that we might be above reproach in public and private. Let us slip on shoes and take the gospel of peace to the ends of our war-torn world. Let us in all things wield uh, the shield of faith and uh, when the enemy whispers doubt and let us guard our mind against deceitfulness by wearing the helmet of salvation. Let us pick up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, where we find Jesus Christ in a world that feels like it's accelerating without breaks. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Because we've been united to him, we pray at all times in the spirit so that we will persevere to the end of the age, whatever the times might bring. That was written by a man called Colin Hansen, who is the editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition. Gives us something to think about and to practice as we rush into a new year. And let me tell you finally how it has been a help to me in the last few days. Quite a few years ago now, I adopted the practice of Charles Haddon Spurgeon of taking a text of scripture as my life verse uh, for the new year. I don't make new year resolutions, I can't keep them, but uh, I take this text and I ask the Lord to help me live by it in the coming year. And I had been wondering what's gonna be my text for 2024 when this came along and uh, pointed us to Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, 
the Christian in complete armour. So I'm taking verses 10 and 11 as my life text for this year. Finally, and I'm getting towards that finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I commend that text to you as a text for the year, a life verse for this year. Well, let us sing one of Charles Wesley's greatest hymns, 145, hymn 145. Jesus, the name high over all in earth and sky and sea.